there's such a disconnect, I think, for financial advisors, but our space in general in terms of wanting to make an investment in marketing. And I will die on this hill because eMoney and Orion are such good examples of you make an investment, you put the right amount of dollars in it, you budget for the growth that you want to have, and you turn it into a powerful engine and nothing builds a business better. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Kelly Waltrick, welcome to Bridging the Gap. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Thanks for having me. I am stoked. Thank you for joining us. You know, I've been following you for years, your journey to get into Intentionally, and I've just always been impressed with your knowledge of marketing and servicing and working in the financial advisory and wealth management world. So I'm I, I'm just really excited about kind of picking your brain on this topic and diving into it. So just super grateful for you to join. We're going to talk about everything marketing. We're going to talk right. about your journey. We're going to talk about what you're doing intentionally. We're going to talk Let's about what it. you did at yes. Orion and Imani, all of it. I mean, Love I don't know it. if we're going to have enough time, but all we're right. going to try to squeeze it all in. Before we get into all that, though, I always like to get to know the guests, and I like to do so in kind of my random way. And I always say, you know, you're doing marketing for financial advisors. I mean, that doesn't seem like the the job that someone would promote at a university to get you to come there. Uh, become a marketer for financial advisors seems like an yeah. interesting industry. What did the Kelly Waltrick at 13 want to be? Oh, my gosh. That is such a good question. Okay, so this is going to sound crazy, but I am someone who has always, always has known what I wanted to do. Like, I was pitching... I remember a specific instance when I was young, I was selling my grandmother her stuff. Like I was pitching her and I was like testing my my story. So this is, I am not someone who like changed their major in college. I'm not someone who has ever questioned what I want to be doing. I love the psychology of marketing. I love the challenge of marketing. I love that you have to be a little bit crazy to be good at it. So the industry I fell into for sure, but the marketing piece of it, I always knew I wanted to do. Well, we're going to touch on the psychology of marketing because I think that that's super interesting and something that I'm, I'm really curious about of how to get people to take action, right? I think that that's always a challenge when it comes to marketing and, and you've yeah. done a great job with it. But before we get there, though, talk to me about the journey from that 13-year-old selling things of your, you know, to your grandma, her own stuff, selling them back to her, which I get, that's impressive. I think that's impressive. Like, you already paid $100 for this. Now I'm going to sell it to you for 110 <laughs> yeah. and, and this is why it makes sense. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But walk us through that journey from 13 to where you are now as a co-founder CEO of Intentionally and everything in between. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I'll give you the quick version. Went to James Madison for marketing. Like I said, I always knew this is what I wanted to do. I took my first job. Like everybody, you need a first job. And I don't think life trains you that well to figure out what it's, what you actually want to do other than maybe the marketing piece of it for me. So I landed at a wealth management division of a bank. And I worked for a couple of financial advisors. I really loved them. I really loved the business. And I became obsessed with why people were making the decisions that they were making. And so I had a mentor at my first job and I that told me that there were not enough women in this business, enough smart, intentional women in this business. And think that, you know, that was 15, 20 years ago at this point. So we've come a long way, but we still have some of the similar similar challenges today. And he just said, if you plot an intentional path in terms of where you want to be, there's nothing that will stop you. So I decided that I was going to learn everything I could possibly learn about this industry. I worked for, like I said, that bank for some time. Then I went on to an RAA. Then I went on to a regional broker dealer. Then I went on to 
an estate planner, did some estate planning and life insurance. And then I ended up at eMoney on the technology side. And so I spent a great deal of time getting to know advisors, different types of advisors through different types of business models. And then I landed in fintech where I fell in love and the rest is history. So I ended up running marketing for eMoney during the acquisition of Fidelity and then on the other side of it for a few years and then ran marketing CMO of Orion for the last several years, all gearing up to land here um, as a CEO of Intentionally. Which is what your mentor said. If you have intention, you will, will get there. Is that some of the na- the impetus behind the name and some of the, the history behind it? Yeah, for sure. And we always sort of tell people that marketing is about being intentional. It's not about throwing spaghetti at a wall. Um, it's about being thoughtful and calculated and sort of a little bit, you know, combining the data and the creativity. So, yeah, there's a lot that goes into the name, but very much so that that journey was a part of it. I think that's really incredible. And, and it's a matter of of taking each step, right? And you let time play its course and, and go through the course of, of getting to where you wanted to. And you, you soaked in some really amazing knowledge along the way. And I think that a lot of people can learn from that. I, you know, I, I'm curious if you always had the entrepreneurial bug. I know that they say they have intention and intention comes from your mentor saying it many years ago. But yeah. what what led to you what led to this bug of being an entrepreneur? And, and then I want to dive into some of the lessons you've learned as an entrepreneur so far. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, yes, when I left eMoney, I wanted to do this. And I had a little bit of a start. And then I said to myself, I need to learn more. I need to know more. I need to meet more people. So I started a business. Um, it was actually called Eloquate Communications. It never actually launched because I realized in that moment that I needed more experience. I needed to do big things. I needed to take on bigger challenges. I needed to try different ways of going about driving growth for companies. I needed to build another team. I just wanted, I wanted to do more. I knew that that would create a better path to success further down the road. So I feel like Eric Clark gave me a really awesome opportunity. I was his first remote executive, his first woman executive. And I essentially, because I was in Philadelphia and everybody else was in Omaha, and Bill was building my team out here, was running an agency, right? Like I had the ability to build the budget, build the office, build the team. And within the back of my mind, I thought someday this is going to be, this is my practice run. This is my dry run for doing this on my own. And I sort of was always thinking about that. So I'm very lucky to have that experience. And I'm glad that I sort of went back to the drawing board and said, hey, I need I need to do more before I do this because it's going to be an easier run if if I do. What a self-aware move that was, right? Too many people would say, I know enough, I'm ready to do it. And and you were able to take the step back. And you know, even when you took the step back, I'm sure there's a lot of lessons that you've learned so far within your entrepreneur journey. And I, I you know, we could probably spend the entire podcast talking yes. about it, but I'm curious, My gosh. You know, what are two of those kind of really big lessons so far that you've learned and had to overcome that you couldn't see in the horizon when you started this endeavor? Oh my gosh. All right. So you're right. We could do this all day. This is a, I'm going to just be really honest with you because that's what these podcasts are about, right? I feel like when you start a business, the people who come to you first are your friends, right? They're the people that are closest to you. They want to see you succeed, but they also, it felt to me like I wasn't able to it's hard to it's hard for your friends to be your first clients because you want to do more for them. You want to give them stuff for free. You're super invested in above and beyond what what is feasible. And so I had to come to the realization that 
I needed to take myself out of, you know, thinking of everybody as like, oh, they're my friend in the industry. They're my friend in the industry. They're my friend in the industry. And say to myself, like, I'm running a business. The value of things is what it is. The people that are part of my organization have families that we're supporting. We need to set up a structure that's sustainable so that I can be responsible to them, to myself, to my partners. So that was a, that was an interesting journey because, you know, ev- your friends get really excited for you and they want to support you along the way, but they don't always make the best clients. Well, and then also, you know, I mean, it's kind of, and I, I mean, I talk from firsthand. I mean, I work with my brother and my dad founded our firm. And so it's a family business. And there's a, there's a difficulty of separating friendship and family and business. And, and, and sometimes you have to make business decisions and your friends want to tell you what to do and you don't want to let them down. So then you do it, but then you're not really being your true self of what your business is. And the way that your business is, is maybe different than what your friends perceive it. Yes. And that's okay. Totally. But it's hard to separate that when they're their first clients as well. And then you're seeing them at the party the next weekend. Yeah. And I'm totally, I am so thankful and I'm so appreciative for some of those early experiences because it helps me think about things differently and shape things differently. And quite frankly, get this off the ground. So I, again, so much appreciation. But I think as I come to realize, like I need people who are coming to intentionally for the services and not coming to intentionally because they're tied to me in some way. Yeah, I love that. I, I, you know, I, I always share, I think one of the things that I learned when I started our first technology business was the hardest part of being an entrepreneur is separating what is perceived to be an entrepreneur and what you're really good at. And you think that you need to be, just because you're an entrepreneur, you need to be the CEO, you need to be manager of all the people, you need to be this and you need to be that. Yep. And you know all about this and that. And my business changed when I brought someone in to kind of do the layer of stuff that I was not great at and was not my course of competency. And that's when our businesses did better than than they had been. So uh, I always love talking about stories of lessons learned. I have 65 pages of what I wrote when we closed down our business uh, of what I learned. Um, oh my gosh. One day we'll share it with the world. I love um, that. But l- I want to shift gears to kind of your where you're just a genius in our industry. Oh and gosh. it's all around marketing. And it's marketing to advisors, I mean, what you were doing with eMoney and Orion, which was marketing more towards advisors. And and now I think you're doing a little bit of both to advisors and also to the end client. I'm curious from your perspective, right? You marketed to them and now you help them as well as an agency. What does the industry miss or not get about marketing? Where is it that we fall flat with regards to marketing our services to the masses? Okay, well, first of all, this is I'm so glad you asked the question because I think about this daily. There's such a disconnect, I think, for financial advisors, but our space in general in terms of wanting to make an investment in marketing. And I will die on this hill because eMoney and Orion are such good examples of you make an investment, you put the right amount of dollars in it, you budget for the growth that you want to have, and you turn it into a powerful engine and nothing builds a business better. And it's just so hard. You know, I have conversations 10 a day with firms who are having trouble making the connection from the investment that they're going to make to the fact that this is the best chance they have at growing their business, the very best chance. And in the defense of these firms that I'm talking to and the financial advisors specifically, they've been burned, right? Because our industry is really good at telling advisors that, that marketing should be templated, that marketing should be canned, that marketing should be scalable. And the fact of the matter is none of those things are true. Like marketing needs to be personalized and customized and you need to, what works for the guy down the street is not going to work for you. And so 
I think it's a bummer that we're in the situation we're in where the value is not necessarily understood. But this is this is my my life mission to to help the firms that are willing to the willing to do it right, see the success that can come with the right resources, the right investment, the right the right focus. So I want to I want to pull that thread for a second here and yeah. and dive into it. Do it right, right? There is no right or wrong, but I want to dive into because you mentioned something earlier on the right, you know, that what eMoney and Orion have done that you've learned is put the right amount of dollars and turn it into an engine because it's one of your core ways of growing and it can be your biggest growth engine. What I've always struggled with and seen other advisors struggle with is what is enough and yep. how long is long enough, right? It's all around enough and and then and we can talk about that. And then I want to transition over into there is some sense of like, what is the right uh, avenues as well, right? There's There's got to be an avenue kind of conversation. But when you think about enough, what is enough in terms of yep. time and money? So, I mean, my answer to that is not going to make you happy. But the truth of the matter is it depends on what your goals are, right? Like I I feel like intentionally is is very honest with people and very upfront with people that we want to know three things in our prospect process. We want to know if you're driving the strategy or if we're driving the strategy. We want to know if you're executing or if we're executing. And we want to know what your goals are. Because after that, we can tell you based on, you know, what we know the client acquisition cost to be. We know the, the tactics that are working. We know what others are doing, like what it should look like for you. So we're not going in and saying, you know, we're not making it up. But the fact of the matter is like, you have to know what you're going for. And so if you say to me, you know what, I have, you know, I have an advisor in Texas. He said to me, you know what, Kelly, like, I don't need a ton of new clients. He's like, I need two a year at this AUM, figure out a path to get to that. I can work with that, right? Our team can work with that. If you know what you're getting after, we can say, all right, we're going to put in place a strategy and a budget that are going to get you exactly what you're asking for. What the problem is, is a lot of firms are like, I don't know, I guess I want to grow as much as I possibly can. Or I haven't put thought around what I want that to look like. Or I have no idea what it costs to acquire a client. I haven't paid attention to that all these years. So, you know, like the, it's kind of amazing to me. <laughs> so, so I think it starts with that. It's like, what are you trying to accomplish? What will drive your business? What gets you to your next your next new hire? What gets you to your new office? What gets you to your better technology? Like, what are you trying to do? And then, and then we can tell you how much. Yeah, and I think that that I, I do think that that's one of the major challenges, right? It's like how much you, it's like I want to grow. It's like okay, that's great. Like, how have you been growing? Well, I've been growing by five clients a year. Well, I want to grow by fifty. And it's like, well. That's different, right? That's right. 10x of what you're doing. Like, are you willing to put in the the investment? You know, I, I think it then gets to like the avenues, the acquisition channels. And and also, it's also hard, I think, for advisors who are very analytical to understand because there is a lot of, I think they call it in the marketing world, maybe attribution analysis. Like it doesn't yep. matter. Like they come from, they see you in multiple channels and some are for awareness and some are for conversion. And like that whole thing is different. So how do you help to navigate? What are the channels? How do we need to think about channels? How do we need to think about awareness versus conversion? Because all advisors care about is lead conversion and everything of that nature. Yep. How do we think about this? Like, how do we reframe our, our mentality? Okay. So I think you need to put yourself in your client's shoes and plot out. What we do with our clients is we sort of plot out, okay, this is the buying process. You know, generally what people go through to find you, Right. There's some steps that they take, it varies slightly, but there's generally a process that people go through. Do you have 
the channels, the tactics, the content in place at each of those phases so that when somebody is in that part of the journey, they'll find you or they'll be able to learn from you or they'll know how to take the next step. So it's almost like just like you do for your clients once they come on board, you sort of think about the client experience. You have to do that similarly for prospects. And so we like to, you know, we have a, a matrix that we give clients around content that says, okay, this is the step in the buyer journey. This is the type of things that they like to consume. What do you have in your arsenal to be able to provide them what they're looking for? And so I think that that's super valuable. I think plotting an experience for your prospects, just like you do your clients, is got to happen. And then the second thing is I learned financial advice. I mean, I've known this about financial advisors my whole career, but you want quick wins. Like you want it to be six months, three months. I want results or I'm not doing this anymore. So what I tell my team here at Intentionally is we need and our, our prospects and clients is that we want to be running two things at once. We want to have an effort in place to get you a quick win because we understand this is especially true of tech clients who need revenue, startups, whatever that looks like. We want to get you your quick win so that you see that this works, so that you see why you should put more dollars behind it, so that you see that it's worth you know worth the investment. But we also want to play, be playing the long game because the quick wins are expensive. The quick wins are going to Schwab and setting up a booth for f- however many thousands of dollars. The quick wins are, you know, paid strategies. Whereas the long game, if you set it up right, if you have a thoughtful content strategy, if you have a thoughtful SEO strategy, if you're doing things more organically in the background, so you're setting yourself up for the long game, then the prices and the costs and the budgets go down on the quick wins. Mm, mm. So we like to have a mix of both. And, you know, it's everybody wants the quick wins at the budget of the long game, which is the the free (laughs) game, right? It's like, and so you can't have both. You can't have the cake and eat too. It's just like when clients come in and talk to advisors and they want to make money on the upside, but don't lose money on the downside. And what do we tell them? It's it's telling the same thing that you probably tell your clients as well. You can't have cake and eat too. A thousand percent. It's amazing to me how that doesn't resonate because I know that the same thing is being said. I'm curious on, on, because, you know, you... Uh, we tried to. We've marketed to both from our RA firm. We've marketed to advi- our clients, and then with our technology firm, we marketed to advisors. Yeah. With eMoney and Orion, you were marketing to advisors yes. to sell to buy technology, something that nobody, no advisor likes to spend money on because they just never know the ROI of technology. How how is it different marketing to advisors and then marketing to clients? I want to start the difference, and then I want to go to the similarities. I, I'm curious on that. Okay, so <laughs> that's a really good question. Um, and you can be open and honest on this conversation. I, I'm going to be, okay? So the the game with advisors has always been at eMoney and Orion. Everybody said to me, oh, you know, they're, I feel I'm somebody's going to throw something at me for saying this. You need to market that the end client experience is going to be better. But I bet every time that it's more about what's in it for me, for the advisor. And it's not... I don't want to say that as a bad thing. I don't want to point that out um, to say that there's like something selfish there. I think it's just that advisors are short on time. They have 12 jobs internally at their firms and they're more focused on what's in it for me. So that's sort of, you know, is it going to save me time? Is it going to save me effort? Is it going to save me money? Is it going to, you know, those types of things seem to be winners to me. So don't throw anything at me out there. 
I love you. But it is a what's in it for me kind of conversation for advisors. Um, And then investors, it's interesting. I feel like the messages that win are have a next level realness to them. We always, you know, you look across this industry and everybody's talking as if clients are listening to, to CNBC all day long and they understand the vernacular and they they want to talk in sophisticated language. So the campaigns and the advisors and the firms that we see winning are ratcheting up and taking it up a notch on being real and talking about money in terms of, and you see it in all the behavioral stuff coming up, right? You see all the, the behavioral finances, all the rage, because these these folks understand that there's a, a level of authenticity that needs to come in to our messaging to investors. So we see that winning over and over again. Uh, and it's a hard thing to do. It's not super easy to get vulnerable and get real and talk about money in terms that you would talk to your wife or husband. But that's... Mm. I think that that's where we need to go. Well, and I, let's let's kind of stay on that path for a second on the behavioral psychology side. I know that I think that you were at Orion and had the opportunity to work with Daniel Crosby, yes. uh, who's one of the best in the business. He's a local ATLian here yep. as well. I'm curious what you learned from your time with him oh and that you've learned over the past couple of years regarding how to intertwine psychology and behaviors into marketing to take action and where are you seeing it most are you seeing it in copy are you seeing it in in avenues that you go down like i'm just curious on where you're applying these lessons the most oh my gosh so what did i learn from him so daniel and i are friends um some of the things that i've learned from him i cannot say on here um (laughs) but i think one of the things you know eric eric brought Daniel on for a very specific reason. He said, "We the investor problem is the biggest one that we have in this industry. You know, he and Daniel made us realize at Orion that until we change investor, you know, until we help investors think differently, we can offer all the strategies in the world. We can offer all the advice in the world, but but it's the investor problem that we have to focus on. You probably heard Eric Clark talk to, talk about that so many times. And so what he did and he had Daniel focus on is how are we going to shift the way investors um, act, the way they think, the way they engage with the advisors on our platform? That takes it to a whole nother level. So now you're not just serving advisors, you're not just serving investors, but you're taking the investors and you're saying, we're not just going to serve you, we're going to change your entire way of thinking. So it was really awesome to have a front row seat to that unfolding at Orion. And they're still working on it today. And and, and Daniel's rolling out some really cool stuff um, along that vein. But I think it's a I think it's a it's a challenge that, you know, for a long time, nobody in the industry was really addressing. How how can from a marketing side, because I think that that's the biggest challenge, right? When you think about, we are, we're kind of going from an industry where we were transactional, where we're selling investment services. Yep. We can buy and sell stocks because you can't really get access to it, right? That goes back you know 30 years before online discount brokerages really became popular and internet, et cetera, from there. And now we're transitioning into, that's been commoditized. Right. Like we're not really doing transaction. We're actually now doing touchy-feely conversations. Like we're selling fulfillment. We're selling happiness. We're selling... You know, you reaching your purpose. 
And people still have the mentality when they come into a financial advisor that you're going to talk about stocks. Like I still go to parties and they're like, what's the hot stock? And I'm like, I don't even know what the Dow did because I don't care. That's not that's not the driver of it. How can marketing help with that? Because that's a hard transition that we have to change the perception yep. of the entire industry and what our value proposition is. So, you know, it's interesting. I was driving home the other day and I was, you know, talking to myself in the car as I do on my way home from work. And I was thinking to myself, it's so interesting that this industry is like the future of this industry is technology. The future of this industry is AI. The future of the, you know, it's like there's always some prediction, right? The fact of the matter is the deliverable and the service has not changed in financial services since the beginning of time. At the end of the day, we're providing advice and we're fulfilling that advice, right? It's That doesn't change. So I love when it's like, oh, all these predictions for the future of this business. It's like the business is, is staying the same. It's how we, how we deliver the services and how we interact um, and the experience that we provide that changes. So I think that your question is a good one. I think that it starts with setting expectations like anything in life. You know, I think, and I've, and that's, if you were to ask me another thing that I've learned in, in entrepreneurship, that would be a, at the top of the list, that the starting point is the expectations. And that has to be so solid and crystal clear or everything, it doesn't, it doesn't fall into place the way that you want it to. So I think, you know, to the extent that advisors can set expectations through their entire prospect journey, and that means... Once you're on the phone with somebody, um, the email that you send to them before they come in for your first visit, the second they sit down in front of you, like every one of those touch points is setting expectations for what your relationship is going to look like. And every single one of them is so important um, to make sure that there's a connection between what you want the conversation to look like, what you want the deliverable to look like, what you want the results to look like, and what the, the client is hoping it'll look like. Yeah, and I, I think that is that is a challenge, right? Like you have to set the right expectation. And you know, I, I give credit to like some firms, you know, like from at least an outside perspective, like United Capital did before they sold and sold again and um, all that stuff. But yep. you know, with the how they put a focus, it was from the process, from the start point, you were talking about values and purpose. Yep. And they carried it through and they just owned it. And if you didn't want that and you wanted investments, you could go to Fisher right. and that's fine in their minds. But they owned it. And that you attract the people that you want to attract. And and it may be different than who you've attracted for 20 years, but there is a shift in the industry. But to your point, like I always wonder, everybody talks about this. And I'm curious on your yeah. side, because you were in some of the biggest tech companies, most successful tech companies in our industry. And now yeah. you're you're serving some of the most successful advisors. You know, everybody talks about this is where the industry is going, right? We're moving up fulfillment. We're moving away from investments, right? We're talking about what we're serving or delivering. But there's really no impetus or no driver for the change. Why do we need to change as an industry? We're the only industry, and I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just we got to accept it. It is who we are, and I, let's wave that flag. I want to wave the flag for all financial advisors because I think that they're all needed. Yep. My mission is to help every single human being have access and, and use a human financial advisor, that is. So I want to make sure my mission's clear. But Love this that. is an industry where we don't have to do anything, and we can double our business in 10 years yep. But doing nothing. Yep. So why do we have to change? Is there an impetus, or is there a driver, or, or something that's going to force us to change out there or are we just kind of talking and it's great headlines for marketing? Okay. So I want to rewind to one thing you said, you said the shift away from investments. I just want to like point out to every, our audience here that every tech company, every big tech company has turned into a TAM. So 
we're saying we're shifting away from investments. We're going towards planning where, you know, we're dropping our focus over here. This is not the important part. But every tech company is telling this industry otherwise. Like, clearly, that's where the dollars are going. So, you know, uh, that was a conversation. It's a very <laughs> interesting observation that I didn't put two and two together. That's really good. I mean, there's a reason Orion is acquiring. T- so, so at the end of the day, I do think you're spot on that some of these headlines are just headlines and that the change hasn't really, the change really hasn't happened to, to make the headlines real. Is there an opportunity, though, for advisors to lean into that and and actually be leaders in that side, even though it may not be you may not have to do it because the the boat's going to stay or like the waters are going to stay as is. But you can go into new charted waters yeah. and do something different. Is there opportunity or is it just not the risk is not worth the reward, from your opinion, from a marketing side? I think if we if you and I have just agreed that the service that we're trying to provide has not changed in all these years, there's two things that you can change in your business. It's one, how you're operating and two, the experience you provide. Right. So how you're operating. I love seeing advisors try different models in terms of what they're outsourcing and what they're hiring for creatively rethinking what the advisory firm looks like. I think there's tons of opportunity there. And on the experience side, I love seeing And, you know, some of them are successful, some of them are, but I love seeing the firms that are trying to look at the lives of the modern investor and try to fit into it better, right? Because it is true that the way that advice has been delivered in the past 10, 20 years is becoming a little antiquated, right? Like, I do think we have to move into a model where where more women are taking over ownership, where they're busy moms, where... People are juggling a lot to make ends meet. Like, how do we how do we shift our experience so that it fits into the lives of people a little bit better than maybe it has? So I love seeing new business models trying to accommodate for for different types of uh, life situations. Yeah, and I agree with you. And I think that there's an opportunity if you speak, think about marketing and growth. It's you have an opportunity to stick out and be different. And and, sure. and in a noisy world where it's just growing of the noise and the ability to get out there and say what you want, you can be different. I think that there's value there on that side. I want to talk and shift for a second. You built an agency. Yeah. You worked in technology, but now you're building technology in your agency. Um, And I know that this wasn't necessarily, and it wasn't your intention. Truth. Intentionally. Mm -hmm. But intentionally, you have now built the uh, advisor brand builder. I'm curious, where did this come from? And it has like AI in it. Speaking of all yes. the trends, which I'm a huge proponent of AI, so we can talk and nerd out about that for a while. But it's got AI in yes. it. Like, where did this come from, oh and where's it going? Okay, cool. And I can't wait to show it to you. So, we we started intentionally serving fintech firms, right? Like, I came out of Orion. It was right in our wheelhouse. It made sense. But we started getting inquiries from a lot of uh, RIAs saying, "I've tried everything that's out there. Can you help me?" And we 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 want to. We want to expand our services. But in having all those conversations, we realized that we needed to shift our model a little bit. At the same time, FMG Suite came to us and they said, "Hey, we're building all of these websites, but we don't have an agency to build the brands." and do like intense message discovery like you would do for your clients on the front end, which I think is why so many advisors end up with the websites they end up with, right? So we just started thinking that there has to be a way to deliver this very important component of an advisor's business that's affordable, that doesn't take forever, and that's an easy enough process that 
people are going to enjoy going through it. So we spent, oh my gosh, a year and a half now building this technology. I'm like channeling my inner Eric Clark here too. You know, I watched him for a lot of years. So uh, to, to deliver brands, to deliver, to help advisors realize how important differentiation is in an otherwise sea of sameness and to help them build beautiful visual brands, to help them build really crisp, differentiated messaging. And then to, within the click of a button, and it is the click of a button, deliver, apply those brand, the brand visuals and the brand messaging to business cards, a PowerPoint template, social media graphics, social media headers, stationary, thank you cards, everything. So you would go to an agency to get all those things delivered to you. It would take a while. You'd have to pay a lot for it. But in the click of a button, you get a beautiful visual brand, very differentiated messaging, and all of the brand assets you need to run your firm. So it's super exciting. And I'm hoping that it becomes sort of the standard front-end process for, for website creation or for breaking away. Like, this should be the first thing you do. So where does that... I, I First off, congratulations. And that's amazing Thank i love you. it and i and there's a reason behind this question i'll ask it and then i'll tell the reason after yeah so that's a big part of an agency to create the brand image yeah. to create kind of the look and the feel you've now eliminated that i know what are y'all doing with all that time <laughs> so i wish that we were getting back time so we still do an in-depth discovery process and in-depth brand building process for large firms and for fintechs. This is specifically for advisors who who we wouldn't have won anyway because the the cost would be too prohibitive or the time commitment would be too prohibitive. So this really gives us an opportunity to work hand in hand with advisors that we wouldn't have otherwise on a project that they probably would have skipped, right? Like everybody says I need a logo, I need a website, not realizing that they're missing the most important part of that. So it's been an interesting journey. And we're, you know, one of the things that we're coming to realize with this product is the most interest we're getting is actually from large organizations who do a lot of recruitment and that need to be able to bring on new advisors, differentiate their marketing offering, and get them set up under their new brand relatively easily and quickly. I love that. And I, you know, it, it's the reason I ask that question is I think one of the fears around technology innovation, especially recently this year, at least with AI, is it's going to replace me. And I've constantly said that AI is a skill, not an employee. And what it did for you, you all, is it created a new new channel, yeah. a new revenue opportunity that you couldn't access. And it didn't eliminate what you do. It, right. it supported and enabled and empowered you. You know, I'm curious on other ways that you're kind of using AI, if any to kind of leverage, you know, because a lot of people are like, oh, well, I don't need content creators. I can just go to ChatGPT and write it. But like, you know, I, I can also go to WebMD and figure out what I'm, you know, what my <laughs> yeah. diagnosis is. Oh my and gosh. By the time I say I have a headache, they say I have, you know, God forbid cancer on that side because of because it, there's an alignment. So yeah. how are y'all using AI and how do you continue to see it impacting your firm going forward? Yeah. So I, w so I do want to rewind to the to the mention of Advisor Brand Builder and the AI piece, because one of the most important components of Advisor Brand Builder is that the AI-driven output is sent to our team for a 24-hour review. And so AI gets you, I don't know, 75% of the way there, and I'm sure it's going to keep getting better. 
But there are nuances that our team is able to pick out from a visual perspective and from a written perspective that the technology never would. So the 24 hours from the output to when we turn it around to the advisor completely refined and buttoned up is one of the most magical pieces of this, if I'm being honest. You know, it definitely gets us a good way there. It saves us time. It saves the advisor money. But that that 24 to 48 hours where we're doing the heavy lifting on the back end to make sure all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted is really important. I love that. <laughs> it, it, it gets you further along. Yes, are, sure. are y'all planning on expanding the usage of AI in the business? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. So we, we are believers that we have never been ones that are afraid to use it. It's not going to replace us. We're very clear on that. But we are tr- we're trying everything. Every one of our team meetings, we get together to talk about the different tools that each of us is testing, what's working, what's not, what we like, what we don't, what's saving us time, what's saving us resources. So we're all in on finding ways to become more efficient. Fathom AI is such a good example of that. Like we record all of our meetings using Fathom AI. It spits out the transcript. It spits out all of your to-dos, it spits out your, you know, it's it's magic, right? Those are things that at an agency we were doing manually for the first year of our business. So so we're we're testing and trying as much of it as we possibly can to see where we can make ourselves better. I love that. Be open-minded and just play around with it and see what can work and what can't work in a controlled environment. Yep. Um, well, I, I want to ask one more question before we get into our closing two questions, because I know okay. you've got to get back to, to building building your brand and yeah. your business. Is where, I mean, you have such a unique perspective. I've said, it, I think, a few times here. I don't know if it's a drinking game worthy yet or not, but <laughs> yeah. it, it going from tech to now advisor side, I, I'm curious on what you see from your seat as the future of our industry, where does this industry go in the next, let's call it seven years, just a random number, because I didn't want to say five and I didn't want to say 10. So I said seven. Oh my gosh. Where is this industry in seven years? Does it look any different in your mind or is it just, are we just, are we just going to kind of mess with some things on the fringes, but the whole kind of the tapestry is still going to be the same. So, I want to believe, and I alluded to this earlier, I want to believe that the model will shift and change to align to people's lives better. I think that medicine has shifted. There are certainly other areas of our lives that are shifting. Things are more convenient, more easily accessed, and not so rigid in terms of how you access. And I like to think that if we're looking 10 years down the road, we will have acknowledged that and we will have taken the steps necessary to still deliver, you know, we're still delivering advice and we're still delivering the means to executing on that advice, but in more creative and more convenient ways. Listen, I I have a one and a half year old and a four year old running intentionally, you know, trying to build this technology like there it's it's hard to find time. So I think that people want to be involved in their finances. I think this generation wants to be really hands-on and I think that we're going to have to get creative around the ways that we're delivering that service. Yeah, you know, it's something I keep reading about, you know, differences between boomers and Xers and millennials and you know, I know that, you know, different stages of life, you know, you kind of gradually transition, but we are just different people. We were raised differently, whether it's right or wrong. The hand we were dealt is different. And eventually they're going to be the ones coming into money. And you're eventually, that's probably going to be the impetus. Like some people are going to adapt to that and some people aren't. And 
I think everybody will find success, but some people find greater success than others if they're open-minded enough. Yeah, they provide a little bit of flexibility. I mean, just take a minute and think about your life in terms of like DoorDash and Instacart and Amazon and all these things. And there's a reason that these things are so popular. It's because everybody can't, doesn't have the time to plan three years in advance. Sometimes you need to plan 10 minutes in advance, Mm -hmm. you know? So I just think a little flexibility in terms. And I think people are trying. I think businesses are trying. Firms are definitely trying. We have a client, an advisory firm that delivers services in multitude of models and is very successful in it. So I think that I think that there's I think that the it'll be interesting to see what what it looks like. But that's that's my prediction. Well, we're going to hold you to it and we'll play this right, back in deal. seven years and see where we came. And then if deal. you're right, we'll we'll promote it. If you're wrong, we'll destroy it. So you, <laughs> you're OK. All right. So you made a prediction and we're only going to promote it if it's right. Um, all right. OK. Like, you know, this has been incredible. Like I said, I've been a, a big fan of yours for, you. for a long, long time. And uh, I'm just super appreciative. Before I let you go, though, I've got to ask you the two questions I ask everybody. Oh, my so gosh. I'm a lifelong learner. I love I, I'm a curious person that you know, also hampers me at times. But I like to learn from people that are smarter than me, like yourself, and I like to do it through reading. So I'm always curious, what's one book out there that you think everybody should read, including me, and if we've already read it, we should reread it? Something that's maybe impacted your life, business-wise, personally-wise, whatever it may be, I'm curious. Okay, so this is, I, I read for pleasure. I need that. I need those recommendations. Okay, so on the marketing front, I'll give you someone to follow. I love Scott Galloway. Um, do you follow him? I I do. I know him. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I love his book around. I forget the exact title, but it's around the formula for happiness. I think it's called. Um, that was a really good one. So I would say I follow him. You want to know why? Because I love that he thinks. He shows that marketing is so much more than campaigns. Like it is, it is defining the business model, making big bets, being an entrepreneur, like thinking about things differently. So um, some of his politics, I don't necessarily agree with at times, but like I think from a marketing standpoint, he's awesome. So I would point you in that direction. Right now I am reading, and again, this is not the question you asked, but I'll tell you anyway, I'm reading Matthew Perry's bio. Ah. Um, big friends fan. Mm. I feel like a cornerstone of uh, our generation's lives has been that show. And so I'm reading that because I think like everybody needs a reminder that everybody's going through something and it's a good reason to be thoughtful and be kind and be sympathetic in your day. And so that this has been a reminder to me of that the last couple of weeks. No matter what people show on the outside, what's how successful they are or not successful, everybody's going through similar stuff. Everybody's yeah, that's going a, what something. a time to be reading Matthew Perry's bio right now. So. Yes, for sure. Um, I appreciate both those recommendations. Now, the last yeah. question I ask is, and I kind of stole it from Barron's because I'm sure you've been to Barron's conferences and I always love what they ask on the stage, but what's one, we've talked about a ton of stuff. What's one yeah. piece of actionable advice you think that our listeners could take away from either some of the conversation that we had today or just in general, something actual they can go and do either today or tomorrow and better themselves and their firm? Yeah, I would say, and this is based on all the conversations that I have on a daily basis, I I feel like you need a business plan. And it doesn't have to be pages and pages. It doesn't have to be complex, but you need to know what you're working towards. And you need the people around you in your business to be on the same page. Because everything, I think success starts there. I think aligning your your strategy, whether it be marketing or hiring or whatever it is, you you have to have a goal. You have to like have a plan. So if you do nothing else, just put some thought to, okay, 2024 is starting. 
our goal for our business is X. And these are the ways that we're going to get to that. It's been shocking to me how many people don't go through that, how many advisors don't go through that exercise with themselves. It's so easy to just keep going, right? It's so easy to just say, I'm going to get referrals. I need to, to keep this thing going. But I would say that's the best thing, best thing you can do. And then one more thing that I always tell people is reread your stuff. Get on your website and ask yourself, is this a good reflection of the person I want to attract? Mm. At the end of the day, everything you should you are doing needs to be to be a magnet to the types of people you want to be to attract. And that's hires, that's clients, that's partners, that's everything, but it needs to be a true reflection of what you're trying to build. So a quick audit every now and then and be real honest with yourself about it, sometimes easier said than done, is is super important. Be intentional. Be intentional. Yes, you got it. There we go. Uh, Kelly Waltrick, like I said, I'm super appreciative. Mm -hmm. This is awesome. I learned so much. I know the listeners did, and I'm I'm sure they're going to want to continue to follow you, maybe get in touch with you. What's the best way for them to follow you, stay in touch, and kind of work with you potentially? Yeah, absolutely. Go to intention.ly. Our company name is a URL, so super easy for you to find. I love that. Kelly Waltrick, one of the best in the biz. Thanks so Uh, much. Appreciate it. Have a great rest of your week. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 